Welcome back to another episode of Underrated. I'm Lefty. I'm Bo. How are you doing today, Bo? I am hanging in there. It's almost officially summer. It feels like we live on the surface of the sun already. So, naturally, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals are uh, are happening, right? Definitely. Uh, luckily, it was just a balmy 65 in the Pacific Northwest today, so it, it wasn't quite as hot as the Midwest. Yeah, just a little bit a little bit warmer, uh, uh, a, a cool 100 today. Beautiful. That uh, that sounds like hell. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's a it is it is a little bit uh, hellish like. Uh, but um, does it get you in the mood to watch ice hockey? Does this seem unnatural to you that we're watching hockey in June at this time of year? I know this is the norm, but what are your thoughts on maybe moving this back a little bit? Uh, you know, I'm all for uh, man conquering nature. <laughs> <laughs> is that a, is that a new show on the uh, on the uh, Travel Channel? Uh, Bear Grylls. Oh yeah, Solid. he's teaming up with uh, that guy that eats all the the gross food. Um, are they also naked and afraid? Something like that. I think they're like uh, dating in the dark or something. I don't know. Uh, totally makes sense. That sounds like a good. That sounds like a good one. That's going to get high rated. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Well, you know, also right now, round one of the U.S. Open uh, has has uh, has just happened, and it's it's better than any re- reality TV show that we just named. I, I don't know if you've kept up with this, but you know, Phil Mickelson, coincidentally also nicknamed Lefty, is still searching for the first U.S. Open win of his career. But uh, he struggled early. You know, he even four-putted the par three six hole after he landed his tee shot eh, about 15 feet away uh, from the hole on the green. That's a little rough there. Um, pretty rough. Uh, Rory McIlroy, in a state of frustration, threw his club on the par four ninth. Um, he's he's doing well. Uh, he was doing he struggled again early, but he was doing well on the back end. And and on the 19th hole, defending champ. John Ram watched two kids run off with his ball. I mean, it's been wild up there. That's uh, that's the most action I think there's been in a U.S. Open in uh, quite some time. Yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, for any housewives that are listening or any people who are bored with the prices, right? The U.S. Open is on. And um, if you can tell us what the hell's happening, we'd like to know. Yeah, definitely. And, and you mentioned... Uh, Rory uh, throwing his club that that makes me think that maybe he should take some of that the winnings you know his 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 pot of money there and uh get with the owner of the Oakland A's because they know a thing or two about throwing clubs too oh yeah absolutely you know speaking of the Oakland A's uh, Major League Baseball is chugging right along in the month of June and we've seen some crazy streaks right the, the Braves have won 14 in a row the Yankees are nine and one in their last 10 games the Phillies have been on a tear since the firing of another recycled AL East manager. But most importantly, the Cubs have now lost 10 consecutive games. And that's and the most it feels good to it's say the that. most important thing in baseball is that they continue to lose. Absolutely. Hey, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm going to defer to you. Can I get a crazy uh, uh, prediction and a hot take on the MLB season that might make everyone listening disagree with you strongly. Yeah, as you know, I uh, I've I've been a big proponent of uh, Brendan Donovan. You know, uh, two months into the season, uh, he's beat out 
Julio Rodriguez. He's beat out Torkelson, and he's beat out uh, Bobby Wood Jr. as the the best hitting rookie in baseball. I think he he goes on to win the NL Rookie of the Year. I love it. The only thing standing in Brendan Donovan's way are tweets from ten years ago. Ex- That's exactly. It. If he can overcome the things he said when he was thirteen, uh, you know, he, he he's beating Nolan Arenado right now in OPS for the with the Cardinals. So, uh, you know, uh, sky's the limit for him. Definitely. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Welcome to Underrated. Let's jump into some headlines. All right. Welcome back. So here we go. Let's talk about some recent headlines. Let's start with the NFL, because that's always a fun personnel circus to watch. And, you know, don't get me wrong, huge NFL fan here, but just, wow, never a dull moment, right? Especially if you're the Cleveland Browns. I I feel like there's a headline coming out of this organization daily, right? Uh, This one, though, this one's fun. Jadavian Clowney, who just recently resigned with the team, released a statement today stating that he returned to Cleveland so that he could play with his former Houston Texan teammate, Deshaun Watson, again. So what, what do you think? Is this, is this loyalty? Is this honesty? Or is this, is this a move to keep morale high? What, what do you think this is? You know, I'm, I'm a bit perplexed why he would say that at this moment, um, unless they're planning on some uh, like third remake of uh, The Longest Yard. <laughs> do they know something about the 24 active civil lawsuits that are out there that we don't know? I, I, I uh, wish they would uh, stop being cryptic and share. Yeah, um, although uh, I think they're 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 definitely gonna take it to uh, Adam Sandler in the prison yard. <laughs> Absolutely, Adam Sandler for our older listeners, Burt Reynolds, the great R.I.P. Burt Reynolds, man, what a guy! He had some he had some good flicks. You have a favorite Burt Reynolds movie out there? Uh, Smokey and the Bandit. That's that's a good one. That's that's a solid one. I, I liked uh, Cop and a Half. Didn't win any awards, but uh, it was uh, an uh, unexpected duo. Terrible storyline, though. Not trying to blow it for anybody who seen it. I uh, probably won't check it out, but I appreciate the recommendation. Uh, a huge fan of the Cleveland Guardians by their former name. Uh, huge fan uh, in that movie, uh, Burt Reynolds. So he... Uh, he wears a Cleveland jersey, uh, and there's a lot of connection here with Cleveland. Holy cow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So another big announcement, the NCAA's Transformation Committee made recommendations to create transfer portal windows. So, you know, this is standardizing a time frame for athletes to enter it every year. Um, I think as of now, Players who plan on entering the portal just have to notify the school and the team by May 1st. But uh, they also want to update the current infractions that may slow down the process so that they can expedite this. Now, I never imagined there being an NCAA hot stove, but I got to say personally, I think this is entertaining. What's, what, what's your take on this? You know, uh, I'm all for it. I know that a lot of coaches and fans tend to think that uh, this whole new transfer portal nonsense is exactly that nonsense but uh giving more power to players is is always a good thing especially when uh you know they're uh making billions of dollars for their institutions and the ncaa organization so if they want to they want to move three or four times in their career more power to them isn't it funny to think now it's taken this long 
for collegiate athletes to actually see any benefits from their own work. It's really hard to believe and to think that uh, schools were given the death sentence and, and athletes during the 80s, I mean, Reggie Bush lost the Heisman Trophy. Um, Johnny Manziel has come out uh, since leaving the league saying that, you know, he was making money uh, off, you know, memorabilia and autographs. I mean, hell, O.J. Simpson uh, beat a murder charge and then went back to jail for trying to steal back his own memorabilia. This is how crazy this type of stuff is. So it's a it's a really cutthroat market, huh? Absolutely. Um, lots of lots of strange happenings. And while there were, you know, a handful of those athletes uh, making a couple of dollars there on the side, uh, you also had a, a fair number like uh, I believe it was uh, some players from Texas, was it a few years ago, in the NCAA tournament, who uh, talked about not getting enough food to eat. So it's definitely a really strange, uh, you know, bimodal distribution of uh, how athletes were compensated. Definitely. Definitely. Well, with that being said, Lefty, I'm going to turn it to you. Let's jump into the uh, first story of the day. Let's talk about some players that may or may not be Underrated. Totally. Now, Bo, you're a big football fan, right? Huge NFL fan. Well, you kind of touched on this earlier in a text message, but uh, who would you consider among the best wide receivers of the past uh, 25 years or so? Oh, man. Like I said, you know, per my list, it was a tough one. I had to think about it a little bit, but, uh, you know, obviously Megatron's at the top of the list. Uh, He had such a short career with a team that wasn't competitive, right? You know, obviously Matt Stafford last season is now a Super Bowl winner for the first time after leaving Detroit, but he was able to do so much and he was making catches that nobody else could make. Um, Chris Carter uh, for the Vikings, uh, the ultimate trash talker, uh, you know, had had some early struggles in his career, was with the Philadelphia Eagles. Buddy Ryan caught him, but it was the best thing that ever happened to him. And Chris Carter was a touchdown machine. Uh, then there's guys like Larry Fitzgerald. I feel like Larry Fitzgerald was one of the hardest wide receivers to actually guard in, in the history of the game. Uh, physicality, mobility, the ability to catch, had sure hands, and just off the field personality-wise, just an overall great human being, right? Um, a little biased on this one, Eric Moulds, obviously being a... Uh, lifelong Buffalo Bills fan um, seeing a guy who was consistent through his career and took advantage of opportunities and really um, had the ability to, to, to make plays even with inconsistent quarterbacking uh, you know uh, outstanding there so you know um, that's that's really uh, you know my uh, my top group and I, I, I think that uh, you know, it's, it, it comes down to, especially if we're talking over a 25-year period, you know, the, the wide receiver in itself has changed a lot. You know, my last pick for this group is Steve Smith Sr. And an undersized receiver, but could take hits, could catch across the middle. Um, again, the, the ultimate uh, shit talker. And it just uh, always got a kick out of it. You know, he was he was a menace, as we talked about, uh, you know, in, in regards to other athletes. Just he, he played mind games out there. But, uh, 
he was a personality for sure. So uh, yeah, that's that that's my top five. What about you? Well, uh, we won't get into my top five, but but there is one name that I think was uh, noticeably absent from your list today. One that uh, I think most people tend to leave off their lists in similar conversations. That's who we're going to talk about today. All right. Drafted in the first round of the 1996 NFL draft, Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison. Never the flashiest or loudest player on the field. Uh, shared a draft class with uh, some much louder, flashier, uh, attention-grabbing people. Amani Toomer, Terrell Owens, Keyshawn Johnson. Definitely. Harrison, you know, he had very little of the spotlight there, but he outperformed all of them and statistically almost everybody on on your top five list so in it you know in his career he shared a field with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in Peyton Manning sure but he never was held in the same esteem as Manning you know as a player the quiet production that he built just can't go understated in 13 years he caught 128 touchdown passes that's good for fifth most all-time receiving along with this he also caught 1,102 passes for 14,580 yards. That's the fifth most receptions and ninth most uh, receiving yards of all time. Crazy numbers. From 1999 to 2006, Harrison also made eight consecutive Pro Bowl appearances. And to this day, he still holds just almost every record. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he, uh, he still holds... Uh, the record for uh, second most consecutive seasons with at least 10 touchdown receptions, eight consecutive years. He was the yeah. fastest player to a thousand career receptions. He had uh, the most consecutive games with an eight yard reception. He caught at least one eight yard pass in 206 consecutive games. And he holds a record for most receptions over an eight year period, a nine year period, a 10 year period, and an 11 year period. Just an insane amount of production from a Crazy. receiver who uh, really was always under the radar. Absolutely. Just, uh, you know, hearing all those numbers, anybody would think that he's a near universal Hall of Fame player, but he wasn't actually inducted his uh, first time as a finalist or his second time as a finalist. In fact, it was his third time as a finalist that he was selected for the Hall of Fame despite being top 10 in passes caught, receiving yards touchdowns third time finalist before he was actually selected for the hall of fame unbelievable you know and there there were a few things that worked against harrison over the course of his career indianapolis very small media market and uh really overshadowed by chicago and uh you know reduced by uh the close by cincinnati market so national media exposure was pretty minimal Despite how successful the Colts were, they just didn't get a lot of national media exposure. And during that successful run in which, you know, Harrison dominated more than a decade of regular season games, he was incredibly quiet in the playoffs. Harrison also had a reputation of rarely talking to media, being described as enigmatic. And uh, one uh, Sports Illustrated reporter described him as only being truly known by his mom and maybe a few close friends see yeah i i like that though you know i mean you you listen i love the excitement i love the trash talking i love the hype game but i also love guys who let their performance speak for themselves but maybe that didn't help. 
yeah, you know, he he didn't talk to anybody. He didn't uh, he didn't go celebrate on the fifty yard line of, uh, you know, the Dallas Star. <laughs> didn't yeah. do much on the field in that regard. Um, and as we all know, you know, uh, the unwillingness of players to talk to, you know, play ball with reporters can really influence public perception of athletes. Um, and those local reporters and even national media, you know, talking heads can really lead to tarnish reputations. I mean, sure. we all know uh, Barry Bonds. Absolutely. <laughs> even former teammates of Harrison really talked about uh, the fact that they were never able to get close to Harrison, going so far as completely giving up on trying to become friendly with him. And aside from uh, aside from this, you know, several very odd off-field issues later in his career uh, may have influenced his reputation a bit. Um, although given how under the radar his career was, I don't think that they actually uh, were all that uh, influential in that regard. I don't think uh, very many people actually know about those kind of odd off-field occurrences. Sure. Uh, that said, I think his play style also uh, was just really not exciting. Obviously, he uh, you know had insane production, but he didn't do it in a flashy way. Right. He also split time with you know another Hall of Famer and tied in Dallas Clark and a borderline Hall of Famer there with Reggie Wayne. So he missed out on probably a ton of extra yards, a ton of extra receptions, and a ton of extra touchdowns um, that he might have seen playing on a different team. But he also didn't have like insane jump ball size of other you know recent greats like Randy Moss, Calvin Johnson. Carol Owens and he didn't have like blazing speed like a lot of you know current slot receivers he was just six foot 180 pounds not exactly yeah he was he was a little undersized uh he was a machine though right uh yeah yeah your your prototypical you know receiver that did everything you needed him to do yeah he he relied on his steady hands and solid route running and he got just enough space to you know always be an open target for Peyton Manning his career was really a contradiction you know, eight Pro Bowls, yet he didn't make the Hall of Fame until his third year as a finalist. He was top 10 in receptions, yards, and touchdowns in NFL history, but largely absent from the list of top receivers. So it leads us into uh, our main question here. Is Marvin Harrison underrated? Well, I got to say, um, I didn't know that he was a third ballot selection into the Hall of Fame. I find that to be shocking. Um, I do want to touch on number one playing style, right? I, you know, today it's more evident, but having that, that swag, having that personality is huge, right? When you're a guy that just goes out there and gets the job done, you're missing on a whole demographic of fans, right? And maybe even important people that are going to vote for you when it's time to get into the hall of fame or... You know, uh, I think, too, with the Indianapolis Colts, Peyton Manning was really the star of the show, right? Um, Absolutely. You know, you had mentioned Dallas Clark, Reggie Wayne, Edgar James was the, you know, was running back at the time. And I almost feel as Marvin Harrison was taken for granted in the sense that he was turned into essentially, you know, like a role player. Like this was expected and anything less was, you know, not okay. It was just expected and what they were used to. So from, from my point of view, 
him missing from the majority of this list, these lists, uh, Marvin Harrison isn't talked about a ton in general. I absolutely believe Marvin Harrison is underrated. Yeah, and as you mentioned, uh, that uh, you know that uh, quiet play style is is something that uh, can be uh, very impactful on how how players are remembered. Um, circling back to what you had just mentioned about uh, his his you know understated quiet play style, um, you know a similar a similar person in terms of, of play style and kind of quiet presence off the field is Calvin Johnson, but he's kind of always in that conversation. And obviously a lot of that is to, has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, he was explosive on the field. He made those, you know, they weren't 50, 50 balls when they were thrown up to him, you know, right. He came down with them. Yeah. Um, I I think, I I think playing, especially in Detroit at a time when that organization consistently struggled to get over the hump and still continues to do so. You know, he, he brought excitement, you know, uh, he was part of a great duo, Matt Stafford and, 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 and Megatron were, were, were an amazing duo, but, you know, again, like you had said, I mean, it, it wasn't like the Indianapolis Colts that had so many great players at one time. Like I'm still shocked that there weren't more Super Bowl rings, uh, within this era of this yeah, organization. Yeah. I, it just blows my mind. Um, to see how much well, talent is there. Absolutely. Well, and, and uh, you know, Calvin Johnson is, is in that conversation of the best receivers, not just because of his insane on-field performance, but he also existed during the height of, you know, fantasy football as we know it today. For you sure. know, Marvin Harrison was a little too early for that. So that production couldn't be uh, admired in the way that so much production is admired today. Um, right. So many people, you know, remember players by their impact on their fantasy football teams. You know, millions of people play that. Um, I, Marvin Harrison just just escaped that by a little bit. You know, if if that type of player existed today that, you know, averaged over two different seasons, 100 yards a week, um, a lot of people would be talking about that. Oh, absolutely. For, for a decade, he caught, you know, 10 touchdown passes a, week, a year. That's I, That's insane production. And it's something that I think was probably missed in the, in the, you know, infancy of, you know, online clips in the infancy of fantasy football. For sure. I mean, any, any, any one of you are out there who were, you know, in these deep fantasy football leagues, picking up guys like Jamison Crowder and, you know, Gabriel Davis and, and, you know, second, third string, you know, wide receivers and slot guys that are coming up and hanging on to them, understand the value of this. Uh, I, it would be unbelievable to, uh, to see just how current times would have changed uh, Marvin Harrison's trajectory and maybe even his personality in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, maybe he becomes more introverted because of yeah. <laughs> yeah. how exposed, you know, everyone is these days. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I guess we both have decided, we've agreed, we're in agreement that uh, Marvin Harrison is underrated. Underrated. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back with uh, another deep dive into a potentially underrated player. Welcome back. We just had a riveting conversation about uh, underrated Marvin Harrison. Is there anybody you'd like to talk about today, Bo? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've 
we've seen a recurring pattern over the years when it comes to the Hall of Fame voting, right? Uh, a lot of times with athletes, awards and accolades just don't translate at the end of your career for whatever reason. Uh, no matter what sport we're talking about, there's a certain threshold that's silently but obviously set in order to gauge eligibility. Sometimes it's not clear. Sometimes it's, you know, out there and it stands, you know, and it's it's generational. Uh, sometimes that bar is set by a specific era and, and sometimes athletes just flat out get snubbed, right? You know, in my opinion, Major League Baseball players from the late 80s and 90s and early 2000s, they've fallen prey to an era that ends with an asterisk. Absolutely. Right? You know, many are absolutely warranted, but some not at all, you know? Um, today, I want to talk about a former MLB player who over a 17-year career played for 11 different teams. A multi-tool player. A six-time All-Star. A four-time Gold Glove Award winner. A five-time AL Stolen Base Leader. Have any idea who I'm talking about, Lefty? I, I think I do. Are we, uh, are we returning to the city of Cleveland? We are talking about Kenneth Lofton. Oh, I All right. Obviously, um, all the awards and accolades I just named, I mean, that's a pretty substantial list, right? That's not just your run-of-the-mill freebie that you get every year. <laughs> so, Kenny Lofton's a very accomplished athlete. Now, he started his career with the Houston Astros, but he ended up hitting only 203 and 20 games in his first major league season. You know, at the time, Steve Finley, he was a, star, a starting center fielder and, and Houston didn't have the patience. They didn't need to have the patience. So they traded him to Cleveland in the off season after 20 games. So after he was traded, he stated to the media, I know they gave up on me and now I'm glad they did. One man's trash is another man's treasure. And from there, in his first full major league season, Lofton hit 285 and stole 66 bases. You know, he broke the all-time record for AL rookies. And that record still stands. You know, from 1992 through 1996, he led the AL in stolen bases each season. He led the majors in three of those years, right? I mean, this... This guy's name was everywhere, you know, and, and just to put this into perspective, you know, we'll flash forward just a little bit. 2007, he stole 23 bases at age 40, right? In totality, he stole 622 bases in his career, but he was only caught 160 times. I do the math, you know, that's 79.5% success rate on the base paths. It's remarkable. It's unbelievable. He had 10 seasons with a war of 3.5 or above. Seven of those 10 seasons were five or above. All right. In a strike-shortened 112-game 1994 MLB season, he finished with a war of 7.2, which led the AL that year. He came in fourth in the AL MVP voting after hitting 349 with an OPS of 948 and 60 stolen bases not to mention he led the AL in hits that year. Fourth lefty 
fourth in AL MVP voting. It's a now, it's a crime. It it's it's really hard to believe, right? Now in the field, he won four Gold Gloves, and and looking back at it now, right, defensive runs saved wasn't a stat yet. So all we can really go off of it is its predecessor, Total Zone. Now that's not quite as accurate, but to give you an idea. He averaged 6.76 per season over his career, if you know anything about statistics, which I know you do. Now, when when Kenny retired, he had a 299 career batting average. He had 2,428 hits. He had 130 home runs, 781 RBIs, 622 stolen bases, and a career war of 68.4. Right? I mean, that's an outstanding line. Absolutely. And I think we've kind of yep. seen in the in the last few years that the the cutoff there for who is and isn't a Hall of Famer is around sixty WAR. Exactly, that's exactly what I was going to touch on. And you know, in his first and only year of eligibility, he received three point two percent of the vote on the ballot. He never made it to the second ballot. So, I have to ask: Did the ongoing aftermath of the steroid era make voters question his ability? Did the 500 home run, 3,000 hit club take precedence over his number 15 spot on the all-time stolen bases list? I mean, is it possible that one of the best center fielders, base runners, and leadoff hitters of his generation just needed a World Series ring to lock down a, a spot in the Hall of Fame? Or is he underrated? Oh, I think Kenny Lofton is uh, absolutely underrated. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Kenny Lofton, if you uh, happen to tune in, we applaud you, sir. Outstanding career. We, we know it exists. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, this was a time, obviously, when I was growing up and, you know, it was a, an exciting time in, in baseball. Now we know so much about what was happening during that time. But you can look at it from two angles, right? You can sit there and say, okay, we're going to question his ability. We're going to put an asterisk next to it. Uh, this was an era of uh, a lot of question marks. Or you can turn around and say, there were quite a few pitchers that were using steroids at that time, and he still had the ability to hit well against them. You know, Pedro Martinez, a couple years ago, uh, after his Hall of Fame uh, snub, said, you know, it's unbelievable to me that Kenny Lofton didn't make it in the Hall of Fame. He was one of the most feared hitters I, I never wanted to face. Now, you know, Pedro Martinez is fairly decent, you know. Uh, yeah, he had a, he had a few I, good years there. A few good years. A few good years. But obviously, he was just completely overlooked. So I want to ask you, what do you think went into that thought process why do you think that kenny lofton in uh, from your end was overlooked as far as hall of fame voting went you know as we touched upon uh kind of earlier today and just talking about marvin harrison it's that uh that lack of flashy play style you know in the era of of home runs he didn't hit them and unfortunately for him he came uh, you know, he, he came to become a star in the era of Ricky Henderson, at least when, you know, Ricky was still on the minds of everyone. So his insane stolen base numbers were great. 
But when, when you're looking at Ricky Henderson, you know, overlapping in play there for a few years and, you know, setting records, um, it, it kind of overshadows Lofton just a little bit. Definitely. And, you know, he's in that age group, too. I look at it this way. Obviously, you know, a voter today would take note of nearly a thousand walks as well as other stats. But by the time uh, the new generation of voters came along, Lofton was already off the ballot. I mean, this is 10 years ago, right? Um, You also have to look at, uh, you know, contemporaries at that time. I mean, if you're looking at center fielders alone, you had guys like, I don't want to throw too many names out there, but a guy named Ken Griffey Jr., if we're, if we're gauging off of players like that, yes. I, I don't know if Kenny Lofton is going to fit that profile. But, um, you know, things we didn't touch on earlier is, you know, he didn't have his first full season of play until he was 25 years old. But uh, he played as a starter for all but two years of his career, even, even to his late 30s, you know. But uh, a lot of people just feel that he was... I mean, he was just, even with leading the league in hits and high average, he was never the best hitter at his position. No silver slugger awards. Uh, you know, that's been part of the argument I've, I've heard here and there. And I just, uh, you know, I just find it to be uh, a little unnerving. Yeah, and it's it's pretty remarkable, you know. Uh, he he uh, was just a few years separated from the, you know, Hall of Fame election of Tim Raines, who absolutely is almost an identical player. You know, in terms of war, I think Tim Raines is maybe one or two ahead. You know, they both hit, you know, around 150, under under 200 home runs, around 150. I'm trying to remember his stats off the top of my head here. Um, and I think they both finished, yeah. you know, with an average around 290 to 300. And, uh, you know, they both had steals around that. 800 mark and they both had uh you know they both led the the league in in the speed categories earlier in their careers they were very similar candidates and i I don't know what what the edge to tim reigns was but uh and that's no shade against reigns because he was also deserving of that hall of fame spot but people definitely think much more fondly of reigns than than lofton well let me throw two players into perspective here two players from two different eras uh one from right before Kenny Lofton and one during both Hall of Famers. I want to take a look at the St. Louis Cardinal great Ozzie Smith. Okay. We want to talk about just overall career stats, right? Kenny Lofton had a 299 career batting average. Ozzie Smith had a 262 career batting average. Kenny Lofton had 2,428 hits. Ozzie Smith had 2,460. Home runs, Ozzy, Ozzy had 28 home runs in his career total. So there's there, there's there's no comparison there. But career war, Ozzy was at 76.9. You know, less than a mere eight points uh, above Kenny Lofton. But he was a 15-time All-Star and a World Series winner and a Gold Glover. Yeah, and, the, and unfortunately, you know, for better or worse, there's always that... Uh high value placed upon shortstops um sure. for whatever reason you know even if even if ozzy was not the prototypical you know power hitting shortstop there is you know added value to that position just among fans in general without a doubt and obviously without the, a uh, doubt you know the defensive ratings reflect that as well um it's sure. a historically more difficult position 
Um, but nonetheless, in terms of offensive production, very similar players as well. So, I uh, completely agree. Obviously, uh, let's flip it to a player that, you know, was existed in existence, you know, parallel to Kenny Lofton, another outfielder, Larry Walker. Right? It's a different, a guy who, different direction than I thought you were, uh, were going to go there. I, Larry Walker, uh, 313 batting average, obviously 383 home runs, but 2,160 hits, a career war of 72.7. All right? I mean, again, you know, uh, Larry Walker, an outstanding player, uh, in my opinion, one of the best pure hitters in the game at that time. Um, I just look at these stats and I think, you know, Lofton is in these conversations, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, you know, Walker also had some uh, some issues to overcome. Lots of people discredited Walker for his having played at at uh, Coors Field, um, right? But uh, you know. It was a it was voters from a different era, and uh, that era understands statistics a little little more in depthly than they did, uh, you know, a decade and a half ago, and that's to the detriment of of Kenny Lofton. And you know, it took a long time for Larry Walker to to get elected, but you know, voters finally came around and they they finally understood his value in a more meaningful way. Definitely. The last thing I want to ask is what are your thoughts on, we talked about thresholds and and bars that are set now, you know, in historically what we've seen, especially for, we'll just say pitchers right now, the 300 win mark. Obviously, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to see another 300 win pitcher again. I mean, that's really just hard to believe on, on, on my end. Uh, But where is the bar set now do you think you know it's 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 been a while since we've had a uh, a hall of fame pitcher you know that that didn't fit those marks um right and i think that uh it will be really interesting to see what happens i mean i think they're they're almost not it, almost universally everyone kind of believes that scherzer kershaw Verlander, our Hall of Fame locks. Um, I, I agree 100% with that sentiment. I also think that uh, Zach Grinky is a Hall of Fame lock, although that uh-huh. is uh, debatable. Lots of people don't believe that. So I think uh, what Hall of Fame voters decide to do with Zach Grinky um, will determine what the new marks are. Right. So guys who fit that Zach Grinky bill are kind of really the determining factor of the future of hall of fame voting just as far as pitchers go yeah well and you know there's a there's a current pitcher on the ballot he's uh, about to enter his third year that i think uh defines the threshold <laughs> someone that we both know very well it's mark burley mark burley you know he he kind of straddles that that 60 war mark he, he wasn't overwhelming in terms of strikeouts wins you know those type of statistics but at the same time uh some of the more advanced statistics kind of leave him behind because of that lack of strikeouts just despite you know repeated on-field success so i think that uh we've seen that 60 war mark 
kind of exist for hitters. Um, I'd like to extend that and apply it to pitchers as well, but we will uh, we'll see here how well that happens in the next few years, whether it be with Burley or with uh, with Grinky coming up. Just to forewarn the audience out there, Mark Burley is Lefty's favorite player of all time, so he's going to be a common denominator. He's 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 essentially part of the show. He, um, he's the he, just he's the yardstick by which we measure success here at Underrated Podcast. <laughs> That's exactly. It's really how the show started. Exactly. 100%. Awesome. Uh, so, I believe we, we both agree, obviously, that Kenny Lofton is underrated. And uh, I don't know if there is going to be another Kenny Lofton, but uh, again, if you're out there, Kenny, we love you. Yeah, happy uh, belated 55th birthday. I don't know if you saw the the recent Twitter discourse uh, in which many people argued in favor of, of his Hall of Fame candidacy on his 55th birthday uh, last month. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we had a couple of nice conversations today about two underrated players in Marvin Harrison and uh, Kenny Lofton. Um, we'll be right back to discuss about uh, a couple upcoming events some stuff in the future uh we will be right back welcome back we had some uh insightful conversations about universally underrated athletes marvin harrison and kenny lofton earlier um but before we go are any uh any news or exciting upcoming events you want to talk about bo yeah starting off with a weird one here um off-white has collaborated with the MLB and they're releasing $1,100 baseball jerseys with uh, holes, holes in the jerseys and the hats and the shirts. Yeah, that was uh, all the talk of Twitter today. They are something to behold. You should, uh, if you haven't seen what those. Is, so what's a, what's a consensus on Twitter as far as, what, what were you picking up from Twitter on, on, on all this? Um, you know, there were, there were two general... Uh, general thoughts there one was that uh what the hell um the the the, the old the old folks of twitter uh were sure. very opposed to 1100 jerseys with holes cut out of them but then there was a, a an, another large contingent uh that uh voiced their support and uh the fact that they would be buying them obviously that was not true they I don't know if you're familiar with the the recent re-release of the movie Morbius. <laughs> yes, that's with Jared Leto, right? Yes, yes, where where they were really trolled by people online to re-release the movie. Um, that is that was the response to these jerseys that uh, that not only would people be buying them, but they should continue to make things just like it. Oh man, well you know. Uh... I'd like to know who these people are because, you know, the cap alone is $260. The t-shirt's $355. There's a hoodie for $630, and you get the jersey for $1,030. And that's not, shipping's not included. But if you are interested, they've done collabs with the Cubs, the White Sox, the Dodgers, the Marlins, the Athletics, and the Blue Jays. And they're up for sale now on Off-White's website. Um, Again, you know, 
props to the late designer Virgil Abloh. Uh, he was an icon and uh, an innovative designer. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I hope he's looking down somewhere and uh, he's into the Swiss cheese slices. Absolutely, that's all. That's all well, I hope. Well, you man. know, Bo. You know, uh, uh, if if any of you would like uh, Bo or myself to to get one of these jerseys or hats uh, to wear on a on a podcast, and you'd like to see that video. Uh, you can donate to us on Patreon. Uh, you'll find that link in the description. Uh, but we will happily wear a Swiss cheese jersey just for you. Definitely. And depending on how much you donate, it'll be a Swiss cheese jersey uh, created by the late designer Virgil Abloh, or it's uh, maybe a cheap Hawaiian shirt off Amazon. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, or or maybe just an actual slice of Swiss cheese. But... Uh, hey. hey. Times are tough right now. The dollar doesn't carry as much value as it did. Exactly. But pivoting, um, did you uh, did you see Adley Rutschman's first uh, first home run last night? I did. I saw the review. I, I'm excited for uh, for this young man. I think he's uh, I think he's got a great career ahead of him. Um, I don't know, in my opinion, if he stays a catcher for very long. Um, well, you, what, what are your thoughts? Well, there's on that? a lot to talk about. Uh, you know, I think pretty unanimous scouting uh, reports say that he is a very solid defensive catcher, so he should have no problem staying there. Um, and that only gets easier if they do install, you know, the the dreaded robot umps. But uh, you know, there's pretty pretty widespread consensus that. Uh, he is a catcher and he should stay there because he's got all of the, the chops for the position. Oh man. I, I see a future Joe Maurer. Possibly, you know, although, uh, possibly it'll be interesting to see, um, if he does make that late, late career transition to first base in DH, but, uh, as it stands, you know, even, even with his pretty poor offensive production thus far into his career, just in his first, you know, 20 or so games he's still putting a positive value on the back of his uh catching prowess so uh it wouldn't surprise me if he uh you know hot take here out produces uh mauer over his career despite uh getting started a couple years later due to some uh contract uh, uh manipulation yeah you uh you heard it first you heard it here first folks right here lefty's calling it man um have you looked at these uh, these City Connect jerseys? Yeah, you know they uh, they're also a very popular point of contention on the internet. There are a couple that I like, a couple that uh, are subpar. I think the Angels just wore them a day or two ago. They're solid jerseys, but uh, I think that I like them mainly because they are reminiscent of those uh, those late '80s Angels jerseys. I really like the uh, the Boston jersey as well. I think that yellow and blue color scheme really uh, freshens thing up in a in a city with stale uniforms across the board. Oh yeah, uh, what was your take on the San Francisco Giants? Uh, Did you see that? Yeah, one? you know it's relative indifference. I think they look a bit like uh, like beer beer league softball jerseys, but. Uh, you know, I saw those come out and they were wearing them and I just kept thinking to myself, wow, 
it looks like somebody bought these wholesale and just threw them out there. They seemed a little rushed to me. I don't know. Yeah, they kind of look like the jerseys you might find uh, at a Walmart in the in the mid two thousands. I don't know if that's an overly Definitely. overly specific uh, comparison, but uh, at least in the mid two thousands, you could get uh, pretty odd licensed but not officially designed jerseys at, at WalMarts across the country. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Definitely. And they were also a bit reminiscent I, uh, of, if you remember, the the turn forward, the clock jerseys. Yes, I uh, I believe when I was in Houston one year, uh, my family got me a uh, Jeff Bagwell mesh uh, starter esque uh, sort of jersey. And I'm, I'm not really sure what the brand was there. I don't believe it was starter though, but it was an unofficial official jersey. Okay. Yeah, I had a. Yeah, I had a you... few. I used to make, anytime I visited somewhere as a child, I used to insist that I go to Walmart so I could buy one of those fake jerseys. I picked up a, a beautiful, <laughs> uh, kind of odd, uh, not the right color red and not the right color blue Albert Pujols Cardinals jersey. Um, and then I had a, 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 a not the correct mustard color Miguel Tejada jersey. <laughs> oh, wow. Miguel Tejada. Haven't heard that name in a little bit. Um, my my least favorite was the uh, L.A. Dodgers jersey that literally looked like their jerseys but said Los Dodgers. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit lazy of a design. Right. I felt like they were like, uh, well, you know, we got to put something out there. Uh, here you go. We'll just uh, uh, change one of the words. Uh, uh, to a Spanish yeah, word. Yeah, and I appreciate the initiative to kind of, uh, you know, freshen up uniforms, give another alternate option. But, uh, you know, some of them were a little weak. For sure. Lefty, tell them where they can talk about their views out there uh, in regards to the City Connect jerseys or the Virgil Abloh off-white collab yeah if you want to talk about uh swiss cheese jerseys city connect jerseys or you know throw a hot take about kenny lofton or marvin harrison you can follow us on twitter at underrated pod that's under underscore rated underscore pod on twitter or you can find us wherever podcasts can be found spotify apple music or any other hosting site of podcasts Absolutely. Another banger, my friend. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, We hope to see you right back here on our next episode. Yeah, thanks for listening to talk about uh, Kenny Lofton, Marvin Harrison, and all other things underrated. Tune in next week as we uh, do a deep dive into a couple other names.